All right, 5.32. All right, uh, roll call. Trustee Esteen. Here. Trustee Fox. Here. Uh, don't see Trustee Friedman yet. And Trustee- No, Spindler. no, I'm here. Oh, there you are. I'm so right. sorry. I'm cleverly disguised as myself. Cleverly disguised <laughs> as M. We're going to call you M all night. All uh, right. Trustee Friedman is here. And Trustee Splendorio. Here. We do have a quorum. Thank you. Okay, uh, welcome to our first meeting of the new year. And we'll start by uh, uh, adopting a resolution. Uh, it's item A on the agenda permitting us to meet remotely. Can I entertain a motion, please? So moved. Second. <laughs> All right, do we need a roll call, Madam Clerk? Yes, please. I'll do Friedman as the motion and Esteen as the second. Uh, Trustee Esteen. Yes. Trustee Fox. Yes. Trustee Friedman. Yes. And Trustee Splendorio. All right, that's a thumbs up. So that's a yes, and the motion does pass. Yes. Okay, uh, second item, uh, item B, approval of the minutes of the November 2nd, 2022 meeting. Um, so moved, no corrections. Can we have a second, please? Second. second. <laughs> Let's okay. do Splendorio to mix it up. Um, all right, Trustee Esteem. Yes. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. And Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion uh, passes. Okay, I will make one comment on the minutes and that is uh, there was a request uh, from Trustee Splendorio uh, for a discussion, an update discussion on the uh, fiscal 2023 capital budget. And that item will be on the February agenda. Good, because I was going to raise that issue. I didn't see it. Thank you, Alan. Okay. Uh, now we move on to item C, uh, uh, discussion item on the article that was in the uh, in the agenda package from the San Francisco Chronicle. This was an article on the ramifications of the nursing shortage at Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital. Uh, and just to summarize what they were, were a trauma center uh, being understaffed and they're a trauma center just like we are, uh, heavier use of travelers, mandatory nurse overtime, the ER going on divert, which means that uh, ambulances cannot go there because they don't have the capacity to treat the patients, long waits for patients to get beds, uh, some discussion that the average San Francisco Hiring process takes 255 days. Uh, the average for RNs was 130 days, which is four plus months. So not definitely not short. Uh, and the nurses don't have enough backup when they can't leave a patient to tend to another patient. So uh, we, we picked this article because it relates to uh, the, the report on nursing uh, at AHS coming up later in the meeting. Um, so are there any, any comments or anything to add on this article? Or we can save the discussion for, uh, uh, for the report on nursing later. I'd like to make a short. I think you're on mute. 
Thank you. We've been talking about the nursing shortage for quite some time. And, you know, sadly, it's not news. Um, it's it's the most ubiquitous issue, I think, facing our healthcare industry in this country. Um, and it's, you know, in San Francisco, they have different issues. They're, they're not, they're a county agency. We're separated from the county in a certain way. And 150 days of hiring nurses is a big improvement on that side. Um, I don't think that we have that issue. This is not the HR committee, but luckily I don't think we have that issue. So, you know, I think in some ways we can give ourselves a pat on the back and in other ways, you know, there's still room for improvement. We're still relying on a lot of travelers and it busts our budget every month. Absolutely. Thank you for that comment. Any other comments? All right, we'll continue this discussion later in the meeting. Uh, next item is uh, item C2, the Chief Financial Officer Report. Ms. Miranda. All right, screen here. All right, so this is the uh, November report. However, I'm starting with an abbreviated October report since we did not meet last month. We were dark in December. Um, October was actually a good month. You can see there that we had net income exceeding budget by 2.4 million. Um, I've kind of summarized what drove that. We had strong net patient service revenue uh, it was better by 4.2 million. Some of that is, is a, still a better than budget collection ratio, but it was also the mix of services that we had, particularly surgeries, ED, and we are over for traumas here. Um, measure A, we were able to pick up 7.4 million uh, in actual receipts. So the county gives us a report. It's usually about two months in arrears. So it was better than we had projected. So we were able to pick up 7.4 million there. And we did have a hit on the FY18 final settlement for skilled nursing of uh, 2.1. Our operating expenses were unfavorable. They've been unfavorable every month driven by labor. So nothing new here. We're still paying a lot of overtime, higher overall rates and registry is, um, uh, definitely an unfavorable volume variance, but also a rate. The rates are quite high. Um, purchase service was actually favorable, and that was driven by a 2.5 million audit adjustment. Once we finally got, you know, all of the uh, uh, initiatives calculated, we wanted to make sure we match the expense, the contingency fee with the period in which we experienced the improvements. So we were able to move back 2.5 million of um, fees to Huron into our last fiscal year. That results in a positive variance this year. And materials and supplies are running unfavorable and, and that mostly is driven by the high length of stay and patient days. So overall, a good month, um, some mixed, mixed uh, performance here, but uh, that's my October report. Any questions on that or I'll move on to November. Okay. 
So my November starts with the volume highlights. A couple comments to make here. Our length of stay at 6.0 is less than it's been. We were at 6.4. Yes, it is still above budget, still above prior year, but moving in the right direction. Uh, and that's driving up these patient days since our discharges are actually below budget. Um, our CMI was lower in the month, which typically would represent a lower length of stay because we have less um, intense uh, sick patients. Uh, so um, overall here on our other services, it's, it's pretty unfavorable this month. Uh, although ED visits were up, our trauma cases were down 10.4%. Our surgeries were down 12.9%. Uh, and deliveries were also down. Uh, so again, unfavorable mix of services. Our skilled nursing metrics are improving. We're getting um, more. Uh, our length of stay is going down. We actually have a higher census than we have had. So that's all good. On November 20th, we were able to open the Fairmont um, wing and move 20 patients from South Shore so that we could do the sewer repairs and we can take up to 24 there. So uh, the hope is that we'll be able to continue improving the census. Um, obviously COVID you know, and, and has had a huge impact on our skilled nursing facilities. Clinic visits are also down, and that's being driven by uh, provider vacancies. So a couple length of stay slides. This one here is the acute care, so it does not include John George. You can see in um, November, um, we did pick up to 2,448 opportunity days. October was better at 2006, um, but still, at this level, it's coming down. It has not been as high as it has been in some of these other months. So that's good news. Here's John George. George John George actually picked up in October, but has been doing fairly well compared to history here. And obviously the slope of the line is not as big. And here's the financial performance for November. Our net income was 1.4 million. So slightly behind budget. Um, although we do have a favorable EBITDA of 1.1 million, that's earnings before interest, depreciation, and amortization. Um, one of the things that happened with the audit, and we're going to talk more about it in a minute, uh, but we did adopt GASB 87. I made a note here. Uh, and so what that is doing is it is reducing our operating expense and increasing our amortization. And so that's why you're seeing the more negative net income, but a higher EBITDA. And we'll talk about more of that in just a minute. Uh, my point to saying that is we actually did better this month. Here is how we're doing on a performance improvement initiatives, a little better because the, the length of stay dropped. That's been the biggest driver of the additional expenses and um, the fact that we're not able to reduce our uh, registry. Um, here's the revenue. Our gross is up 3.8%. Uh, a lot of that is in the inpatient area, we're up 1.9 million and that's those inpatient days, 
that we don't necessarily get paid on because if we have patients in house and it's beyond the geometric or expected length of stay, we might get an admin day or no payment on those accounts. So that does dilute our collection ratio. And you can see with the unfavorable mix of services, we did not hit our budgeted collection ratio. Um, outpatient revenue is strong. Um, that was driven um, by the uh, trauma cases, uh, I'm sorry, the ED visits and the MRI, year-to-date being driven by trauma cases uh, and professional services. Even though we may not get paid in the hospital for the hospital side, we still typically get paid for the physician side. So that's why the professional fees still look uh, strong. Next slide is the other government. And you can see their supplemental programs are up 4.2 million. A couple things happen. We were able to settle with the county for FY21 and we collected an additional 2.3 million that we did not have budgeted. Um, a lot of the things with the county take some time to work through because it's all manual and the county pays us when they get paid. So oftentimes, you know, we're running a bit behind and we have these settlements. What we've decided to do internally is if it's for the prior year, we'll record it in net revenue. If it's a settlement from more than a year ago, because those are more volatile, then we will do record it as a settlement. And that's what's been done here. Um, we got a final settlement for the physician spa, also positive 1.9. Also worthy to note on the year-to-date basis, you can see the measure A running quite a bit above budget. Good to see. And also down here, other operating revenue, also positive for the month and year, and that is retail pharmacy. It continues to, to be strong. So a uh, question, Kim, what determines the, the, the size of the Measure A payment? Is it the overall county receipts and uh, tax revenue that we get a percentage of? That is it. So that's why the reporting is behind because they, they have to collect it and then they the county reports it and then they tell us. So we wait for that report from the county. So it's always kind of in arrears. So we're a beneficiary of, of property values going up. This is mostly sales tax. Okay. So um, yeah, this, we get 75%. It takes almost a year from when the sales tax is collected for the state to reimburse the county and the county then, I don't know how long it takes for the county to reimburse, but the county gets, and the cities, it takes almost a year. And we, we don't have to wait a year. So if they're not get, actually getting that cash, then they're, they're fronting it to us. But we usually get the report a few months after the, the tax period, the tax month ends. All right, so the next is the operating expenses. Uh, so we're negative, been negative every month, but this month is not as much as it is year to date, 6.3% versus 9.9%. I'll talk about labor and um, depreciation of facilities in a minute. So on this slide, just two comments, one on purchase services. You see year to date, we've got 
Uh, we're right on budget, but there's uh, several things here that are kind of netting out. In the current month, what's going on is a timing difference on the Huron fees. Um, you know, we budgeted the performance improvement evenly all year, and we budgeted the Huron payments even. But, um, you know, right now our length of stay is running um, behind, and so there's some timing differences happening. For materials and supplies, the same story. Uh, we are, uh, we have more bed days, which cost more. We have more PP&E, more medical supplies. Uh, and then in the current month, we did actually buy some beds for Alameda Hospital, and they did not meet our capitalization policies. So we went ahead and expensed them at uh, 300,000. So this next slide talks about facilities and depreciation and amortization. Um, so we implemented GASB 87. Um, we'll talk about this more when we have the look at the audit. So we did it as part of the audit and we rolled it through in the month of November. And uh, this is uh, GASB 87 is a general accounting standards board uh, item that we are required to implement. We did not do it until we did our audit and it's retro to 7-1 of 2020. Um, the idea of this is to uh, provide financial interest, uh, financial information that is more comparable entity to entity. So what's happening is we go and we look at our leases and we say, mm -hmm. we have the right to use an asset. And so we book an asset on our balance sheet uh, pretending in essence that we own it. And then what we do is we um, treat it like you would your, your house mortgage. We have a principal payment and an interest payment that we record each month. And then we amortize the asset for the life of the lease. So the net impact for this fiscal year was to reduce our rental payments by 1.8 million, increase our amortization of 1.7 million, that's coming off the balance sheet, and then to record this imputed interest of 0.4. So what this is gonna do is it's gonna make it so that it will be harder for me to make the comment that earnings before interest depreciation and amortization is equal to our cash flow because the uh, rent payments still need to be made and the, amort and the amortization is not a cash item. So we'll have to figure out you know, how we, if we might wanna change our financial presentation to better reflect cash flow now that we have this amortization introduced to our statements, our gap statements. Any questions on that? Okay. So uh, here's the labor. This is the biggest variance, obviously. It's off um, 6 million and 42.7 million for the year. You can see that at 8.6%, it's less off than it's been. So we're moving in the right direction here. Um, I don't wanna read you this slide, but what I do want to say, talk about is, things that are new. So we've known that we've had a lot of um, um, rate variances with our own staff. So the finance team went back to figure out why. And so we did a deep dive and we looked at the budget rates. And we, what we did for the budget is we pulled them down in January. And what we're seeing 
is that our HR department had to do a lot of work uh, to retain, recruit, and correct the some compensation inequities, either from hiring new people or just ones that existed so that we would stop the turnover rate. And those um, increases did not get picked up in our budget. We did have one budget miss for one of the COLAs, but the majority of what's happening is the fact that we did these one-off changes between January and July that we did not pick up in the budget. So um, now we've done that work, so we know what it is and we can reconcile the rate variance and volume. And that's the, really the only new news in this, uh, in this uh, section. Um, physician salaries have been picking up in the last few months. Uh, the biggest variances are with hospitalists and psychiatry at John George. There was some um, changes in staffing and contracts there. And hospitalists um, are pulling extra shifts because we've got so many extra patients in beds, heads in beds, that um, they've needed to um, increase those rates. Registry, it's the same story. You know, we have an unfavorable rate and volume variance um, because we're not seeing, although I, I shouldn't say we're not seeing, we are seeing some lowering of registry rates, not, not all that material yet, but the team is working on getting some new agreements and pushing our current vendor to get those rates down. And then in addition to that, we're really working hard to use our own staff. And you can see we're 168 year-to-date and we're 128 in November. So some improvement happening there as well. Employee benefits are favorable, um, mostly timing. Um, you know, at the end of the year, people will reach their, uh, the level of compensation where you have to take out the higher FICA. But this month, what's really driving most of it is we got a stop loss payment of 1.5 million on our health plan. Uh, and uh, year to date, you're seeing also the FICA timing difference. And um, the, again, the, the stop loss helped improve the negative variance we had for our health plan costs for our employees because we're self-insured. And retirement is favorable. And again, people are reaching their maximum contribution limits. And so it's really a timing difference. We didn't match it up quite well with the budget. Here's the, um, the history slide we've been doing on FTEs. Uh, we're at 4888 over here. So um, pretty high here, uh, higher than it's been. But look, our volumes are up. You can see that the volumes are up way below where we were during the COVID times, maybe equal to where we were pre-COVID or getting close, maybe not exactly, especially month, you know, if you look at an average. And then again, you have to remember over here, we were implementing EPIC. So we had about 84 FTE um, capitalized. So yes, we have increased staffing um, maybe, maybe, so it would be about three or 400 FTE. So that, and uh, in regard to that comment, a lot of it is to support Epic. It does take a lot more staff. Here's the balance sheet. A couple comments I wanna make here. 
um, our days in AR at 64.6 went the wrong direction in November. However, they are coming back down in December. Um, what's really, well, I have a slide that I'll show that in just a second here. And net position, we're at 55.8. So it deteriorated a little bit, um, but better than we were. So that's good. We still have net income. And then um, our net negative balance with the county, um, we're at 28.5, which is what we had projected. I do not know what's going on with my computer here. <laughs> I don't know how that happens. So our cash collection, do you guys see what's on my screen? I do not know what is causing that. Kim, do you want to uh, X out and go back in? Yeah, stop sharing, Kim, and then maybe try resharing. All right, can you see it? Uh, not can't see anything. We right briefly there. saw an image. There wasn't much. Better. Yeah, there's a there's an issue here. Uh, uh, Mark, Mark, Amy, so, so someone's in the in the meeting. It looks like Ira Holly's is being shared. Or... Yeah, it's telling me I cannot start sharing while others are sharing. I'm gonna just do host only here. Let's see if that would stop. Yeah, Ahmad, we have some uh, an unwelcome uh, person uh, that's uh, doing some uh, whiteboarding. I think if you can, uh, if you have host controls, you need to limit that. Okay, I just uh, took shared screen and made it host only. Okay, so I'm going to try to share again. And it no, says host. Kim, is... I've taken that away. Okay. Um, Kim, can you email your uh, slide deck maybe to Ahmad quickly? Um, and uh, Ahmad, if you can share from yours, I think that's probably the safest. Yeah. Juana, are you, Juana, are you there? Mar yeah, I'm here. I'm pulling it up right now. I can share okay. it. Just oh, give me you. one moment to pull it up. Sorry. I guess your other option, Ahmad, would be to assign host uh, privileges to Kim. Yeah. Juana's going to take the... Uh, so we're on uh, slide 16, Rana. Okay, one moment. So to be clear, I only have the PDF because there was an issue with um, the document. So it may not look great, but I will be able to share it. And that is what counts. So let me just move it around here. Apologies for the delay. Ron, if you'd like, you can uh, assign host to Kim also. Can you see it? Yeah. Is that the right one, Kim? Uh, just go up a few slides to the cache. That's where we were. Cache. Yep, one more slide. Uh, I'm sorry. The other way. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, keep going. Keep going. That was the last one we did. Here's the here's the revenue cycle. Um, so you were on the right slide there. Okay. All right. 
So this is the revenue cycle. Um, we are currently at 69.2 for PB. Our all-time low is 63.2. Uh-oh, here we go again. Ooh, okay, I'm gonna stop sharing. I don't know what to do about this. <laughs> There's nobody in the guest room who is not an employee. I think that the there's a person right now, there's two Mark Friedmans, but that was several different people. They kept, the name kept changing. Um, so whoever joined our Zoom room has some tech skills. How about- Possible to send an entirely new invitation and- uh... Well, Mark, if Mark can show which one is the correct Mark Friedman, the other one can be removed. Now so there's one, two one of them just left, it looks like. Okay. But this is short. It looks like there's two fee fees. Yeah. Yeah, and that wasn't there a minute ago. So Fefe, if you can turn on your camera, let us know which is the correct Fefe. And now it became Jeremy, it looks like. Mark, you're on mute. I don't... The host can boot people. Yeah, but we don't know who to boot. Mark. Yeah, who do we boot? Whoever it is is changing their name. They're they're cycling names and they won't turn. So if everybody would turn the camera on, it would be a lot easier because then we could see who we're dealing with. Let's go ahead. Since we don't have a passcode on this meeting, let's um, uh, eliminate anybody who has a camera off at this time. I'm going to eliminate Hugh. I don't know who that is, so I will remove. If you want to stay on, please turn your camera on. And then there's still this Mark Friedman, and we've not heard. There's Mark Friedman. Okay. So I'm obviously doing a little bit of checking on the back end on what we can do. We're probably going to have to move to a passcoded meeting in the future, but uh, Rana, um, Ahmad, and I will talk about this offline um, going forward. Okay. Okay. Agreed. All right. Realistically, if people just turn their cameras on, then we can see who we're dealing with. Ira, is that you? Can you turn your camera on? There's Ira. Okay. So we now have a cameras on meeting, everybody. Uh, so should we give Kim the ability to share again, or shall I continue? Why don't you finish this one? Because I've already closed it. So. Okay. This will do the few more slides and then I'll do the rest of them. All right, let's keep our fingers crossed. Yes. <laughs> All right, there we are. Gosh. All right, so um, I just wanted to point out what drove the days is this outsourced AR. It's um, too high and it's at risk and we're really focusing a lot of resources on getting this down. And as I mentioned on uh, December 31st, we're actually down to 66.1. Uh, so over all time low was 63.2. We, we are, we used to have some practices where we wrote things off a lot quicker. Now we are not writing things off until it goes through an approval process because we want to collect the cash. So next slide, please. Oops, sorry. So that's, this is, this is the cash. A little soft, I would say for November because of the holidays. But I can tell you December was strong regardless of the holidays. So uh, so overall, even at 56.9 is not bad at all. Next slide. 
And so here's our line of credit. This really hasn't changed at all. Um, what we are gonna do is uh, extend it another six months. Uh, and when we do that, we're gonna come up with a new run rate as to how we're doing on our performance improvement. And it will include, include looking at our labor costs and what we think they will be for the rest of this year. And then we have bridge plans to make up that gap. Um, just, uh, I'm, I think we'll be fine this year because we've got enough, um, enough offset. My concern will be the budget for next year. We, we've got to, we've got to get these expenses down because I don't think we can, we can keep our revenue incrementally increasing as quick as our expenses have. So, uh, Kim, it looks like what you're saying on this slide is that where we were at the end of November is going to be the high point in terms of what we have owing on the NNB, at least for this fiscal year. Yes, but we are going to reforecast it, as I said. But I think so. When we reforecast it, I can tell you we're going to get a supplemental payment that is going to help us, and then this line, the line is going to go up with our forecast, and then we're, it'll come back down because of that payment. Next slide. And so here's the chart and. Uh, Again, I don't have that extra supplemental in here yet because we'll do it as part of our forecast. Um, but you can see that in April is when we get the cash in that makes it go down and then another one in June. And then I've got these recoupments still here. I still don't have any word on when we're gonna make the waiver payments, although that number is real. I expect that we will pay that out. These other two numbers are estimates that were solid at the time they were booked. However, um, what we're seeing is for the spa anyway, that every year that's settling, it's less than we had thought. So I'm hopeful there. And then the FQHC, once we settle with the state, we can book an adjustment to that. Any questions on the November financial report? Uh, just, just one question. The, the first amendment to the uh, uh, operating agreement, uh, that concerned the capital designation fund that I think was signed in October. The city was obligated to release $28 million to us. And I think we were, we were waiting to complete a drawdown process with them. Has, what's the status of that? It is all cleared out. We did have that in the table for the last time we met. They're not in it because it has all transpired. Those the, we, we basically handed each other checks. So we got the money. Yes. Okay, great. Any other questions? The entity financial statements, I believe, are next, and I guess I will try to share. Okay, I'm going to stop. Let's make sure that you have permission to share. Right. One moment, please. So Kim, I'm gonna just make you a co-host for now and that should give you permission. Um, no, Ronna, I, I did made, you do it already? Yeah, okay. yeah she can share. Okay, good. Last I was afraid to open it back up again. Righty. Let me see here. Everybody see that? Oh, this is the wrong presentation. It jumped on me. 
Everybody see that? Did you base financial statements? Okay. All right, so just uh, um, pretty quickly here, because these are still a work in process and our CAOs at the facilities are looking at these and we still don't have service level ones to where you'd see post acute broken out. They're just in the site where they reside. Okay, um, what we're seeing is still the, the presentation on the year end audit. At least that's what I've got on my screen. Oh, and I just closed it. I shouldn't have done that. It'll take me a few minutes because I accidentally hit close. Everybody see it now? Yes. Thank you. I usually have these all lined up. <laughs> okay, so this is the entity financial statement. Um, and again, we're really focusing on contribution margin here um, because uh, focusing on supplemental payments really doesn't do anything for us. We really need each of our facilities to hit their budget contribution margin. And in the month of November, overall, we were off about a million, so not bad. Um, if you look at this, Alameda and Fairmont were very close to budget. Um, the FQs were better than budget. Highland was better than budget. Uh, John George fell off uh, this month, about 1.1 million. And San Leandro was off about 2 million. And the overhead was off about 1 million. So that all nets to a difference of about a million. And then if we go year to date, um, obviously things are not as good as they were in the month of uh, November, but you can see Alameda is off about 3.4 million, uh, Fairmont 2.4 million, um, the FQ clinics are still positive by 5.8. Uh, Highland is off 8.4, John George 5.8, San Leandro 1.9, and system overheads off 6.9, total 23.2. So um, the performance improvement is still all in overhead. It has not been spread to the facilities. So what that means is even without the performance improvement, we are really struggling and it comes down to labor costs and those, all those extra days that we're having to have the staff in the hospitals. So again, this is still a work in process. Um, the allocations, I don't know that, you know, we're gonna resolve these anytime soon. And I don't know that we really care that much because because we get a, a supplemental funding or more measure A, it doesn't change the fact that we need our each of our entities to hit their budgets. Um, again, a work in process. We're having reviews with the CAOs of the facilities um, and we need to, we're gonna add some key stats from the long range strategic plan. 
We need to allocate performance improvement, which is gonna make all of our entities look worse since we're not hitting those. Um, we'll make, need to make final decisions whether we wanna make revenue allocations for the supplementals. Uh, and we still have some issues with the physician expense because we're guessing kind of where it goes and it's not a, a hard number. We're, we're refining that now. And then what all of this is really doing is, is, is giving us the building blocks to do service line reporting. And that's when we'll have, for instance, post-acute for, for Richard broken out and you know, we'll have, be able to give the chairs, our physician chairs for their um, specialties financial statements. So that's next year. That is the entity financials. And I think my next one is the audit. Open. Share screen. All right, everyone see that one? Yes. All right, so this presentation uh, is very, very um, positive, I think. Uh, we had very few audit adjustments. Um, most of them are the ones that we have every single year relating to our self-funded um, actuarial determined liabilities. Uh, the largest one we had was for here on contingency fee. I talked about that earlier that we um, were able to after June 30th, book 4.1 million of the total payments into last fiscal year. Uh, and then again, the implementation of GASB 87 that we just talked about had a material difference. So here's the balance sheet first. And I did a summarized version here just because it's what, how we talk about it every month, but I also put the full detailed in the deck. Um, Gross days in AR, uh, we were really high in 2020 at you know 99. Uh, we got it down to 62.7, and we're now we were at 64.6. So jumping around these low 60s, and uh, you know I think that's good, particularly when you think we just went live on Epic. So you know as time goes on, you know you can get you can get some aging AR out there, but we've been done a pretty good job of keeping that that down. Net is down, we, uh, we're collecting more revenue. Our revenue was really high um, this year. So that ends up in the calculation of net ARs, bringing that down pretty substantially. So here's where I really wanna point out, our government reimbursement um, payable, it went down substantially. We were able to pay off $69.1 million of the waiver recoupments. There is some timing delays because we changed from fiscal year to calendar year on some programs, but uh, we should, I mean, that's a huge amount to pay down in one year. And uh, our AP, yes, and our AP went up because we did move back the registry uh, costs that were high and then here on that I talked about earlier. Look at our net position here. We were at a negative 280, 520. We are down to a 63.6. Now we're still not positive, but that is a huge improvement. 
And then if you look at our net negative balance with the county, we it flipped to a receivable. We had fully paid it off and they owed us 50.1 million at the end of the year. So although net net, if we close the doors, so to speak, we were still negative in a deficit position of the 63.6, nowhere close to the nearly 300 million that we were the year before. Here's the income statement. Um, the story here really is that revenue. Look at that. We were 28.7% higher than 21. And that's even with lower COVID money. I mean, we got 30.9 million in 21, you know, to you know for relief. That's not even part of that big increase for the, I mean, the 28.7. We've shown it separately here. Our expenses were only up 5.1%. So this year at a profit of 209.7 is the best year this organization's ever had. So I, I put some bullets here, just the key takeaways, uh, net patient revenue, even though our days went up, our cash collections were 17.6 and $105.5 million better than we planned. Supplemental income, the real big, item there is that ARPA, that money was not budgeted. We had no idea we were going to get that. That was $22.3 million. Also, some pickups from fire year GPP, a lot of it having to do with COVID that they changed the thresholds. Uh, so really nice pickups. And then we were able to keep some ABA 85 realignment money of 64.7. So all of this aligned to really, really help us pay down debt and change the position that AHS was in. So question, um, uh, yep. during the year, uh, we talked about the fact that we weren't sure we were gonna be able to keep all of that uh, rescue plan money. Um, is that, since it's gone through the audit, is that now totally buttoned up? The single audit is happening now. Um, the numbers we've run, we're not gonna have to pay anything back, um, but it, 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 it moves. You look at each quarter, um, and so I can, I can go back and give another, take another look at it. The last time we looked at it, and believe me, we did a lot of analysis. Okay. We were not going to have to pay back. In fact, what we even did um, is we, we said, well, we got all of this additional money in our revenue cycle. Not all of it was in this year, right? It's from, you know, last year or the year before. So we even went back and re-spread spread it and went quarter by quarter and, round and round. And at the end of the day, I think, you know, we're going to be good, but it is still a risk. And thank you. For but obviously the auditors are comfortable with it. They, to be honest, I had them with me the whole time. So I, I don't think you need to do any more analysis. Well, we still need to have the final, you know, the final, right. final, um, you know, uh, opinion. Um, but I think but, if they got by the auditors, you know, I think we can be satisfied that we've done our due diligence reporting it correctly. Yeah, the, the single audit is still in play, though. Uh, thanks for those very technical questions, Alan uh, and Kim. I'm just kind of impressed by the net patient service revenue increase. That's like 10% of our annual revenue and cash collections. Like, that's a really big deal. It is a really big deal. You know, it's, uh, you know, it was... We had the best initiative, Huron helped us. And, you know, we were able to stabilize post-COVID. I mean, I, you know, our days in AR were 99 
you know, and, you know, in 2020, and then, you know, we couldn't get claims out the door. And then we had to, you know, rebuild a lot of Epic. Um, but, um, you know, I think we have an outstanding revenue cycle team. And, um, and I really appreciate the partnership we have with Huron. So they've earned their money. They have. We there's a lot of work that goes into figuring out what we need to pay them. So, um, well, a significant part of financial management in healthcare is management of billing and receivables. So, uh, we certainly are doing a great job on both counts. Yeah, and you, know, you can see down here this bullet. We did pay um, you know, ten point eight million out to Huron. Mm -hmm. um, labor costs. We'd never given bonuses. We still did that. Our FTEs were really relatively flat. Our total expense went up, even with the bonuses, only six point eight percent. So uh, those were that was pretty nice to see, especially in the time that this was happening. Um, our registry, however, was quite high. We paid um, 16.9 more than we had um, the previous year. And again, COVID was there the previous year, but what happened is all of the rates shot up and all of our, the great resignation and people all flipping to uh, registry to make all the money, you know. And then um, our higher materials and supply costs really relate to the length of stay and more patient days and PP&E. So that is our story. We, we always have to be careful about the retirement because it does, when we have a credit, it offsets our um, salary expense. So this 6.8 has been adjusted for that. So that's our true increase in labor costs year over year. Can I ask a question just about the uh, the registry being over 16.9 million and the flat FTEs? Uh, what would be the difference if we increased FTEs? Like, you know, what's the what's the the plus minus on FTEs versus these uh, so I think registries? Yeah, so the most of this is the rising rates rather than the FTEs. It's not like we're using a whole lot more registry FTE. This, these FTEs actually include registry. We uh, we just put this bullet of the rate increase over here because um, it's sixteen point nine overall. Our you know FTE is pretty flat, but I think what it did is it made us realize you know we've got a um, you know settle we settled those union agreements. We did give the bonuses. We've been doing things to. Um, address um, inequities in staff um, in adjusting some of the, the wages through the comp, um, through HR and the comp group. And you can see that in, in the current financials. I talked about how we have that rate variance, right? So what's happening is that, you know, there was a, HR had to go to work, right? We need to stop the turnover. And so they They've done a lot of looking at our salaries and, and making some changes. And that's why this year my rates are so much lower because I, I didn't have all of that built in my budget. I was using the January time period where we still had you know, pretty flat wages. That answer your question? Yes, in a certain way. 
<laughs> Should I try again? <laughs> no, no, no. That's the answer. So that's um, that is the story there. Okay, I had one question uh, on the balance sheet. Um, there is an item called other post-employment assets, $75 million that I think was new this year. Is that a retirement related item? Um, it is, it has to do with, uh, we tried to, to, to mirror the audit report and, and it does relate to it. And, and it relates to the fact that we had better returns. And so the, the, we have a, an asset out there um, and we're, you know, depending upon what the actuarial says each year that can change. Um, I probably should have commented on it. I did not. I can, um, if you want, I can follow up with more specifics. So that, that's, a, that's an asset that has to do with a higher valuation of our pension assets. And that's well, it's post employment, in so it's probably right? a lot more than, it's probably more than that. I mean, that's going to reverse in fiscal 23. Uh, likely because of our, um, because if December 31st, I know our, our investments were, uh, I know it will be a negative adjustment. I just don't know how big. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that report and congratulations on a very uh, successful audit and a fantastic year to the whole team. Yes, thank you. And the management team as well. Everybody. Any any further comments or questions for Kim? Okay, let's move on to item C3, which is the chief operating officer report. And we're going to have uh, a presentation by Roe Lofton, the chief nursing officer. I just wanted to mention, uh, uh, probably not necessary, but why nursing is a very important strategic issue for our organization. And that is that the quality and performance of our nursing staff is a real strategic concern because nursing is key to our patient outcomes and satisfaction, to our physician satisfaction, and also to the accreditations that we have to get and keep. And if your nursing staff is uh, is excellent, uh, all of those things will tend to fall into place the way you hope. And if not, you're going to have problems for years until you can turn it around. And so that's why we're making the effort we are. And with that said, uh, I'll turn it over to you, Mr. COO. Thank you, Trustee Fox. And <clears throat> I, I, Ro is here and will present, but I Nursing has come so far in a year, and Roe's report will depict that, I'm sure. Roe herself has been here for one year, and the progress she has made along with the nursing leadership team is pretty phenomenal. So I'm looking forward to you all hearing um, Roe's report tonight. And with that, Roe, I'll turn it over to you. All right. Thank you, Mark. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. Um, please let me know when you can see this. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can. The screen is still black. There you go, Ro. 
Thanks. I, okay, I think I need to go off camera because So I'm going to stay off camera. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, but we can't see the slides anymore. Okay, hold on. Because... And Ro, if it takes up too much bandwidth, maybe Rana could bring up the presentation and um, you could just speak to it? I think that that would be best because otherwise- okay. Lose. All right, so Rana or Ahmad, would you be able to do that, please? Yes, give me just one moment. Thank you. Of course. Where we go? All right, are we good? Yes, we are. Thank you, Rana, so much. Um, so um, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been about a year since I uh, last presented uh, here. And um, when I came last year, it was really to um, present my assessment and um, talk about some plans that I had for nursing and um, what I thought that we needed to implement right away. And um, for those of you that were here last time, you'll remember that we had a, a lot of vacancies. Next slide. So I wanted to start tonight just to compare the vacancies from 2022 to what we have now for 2023. And these are the leadership vacancies. So we started um, 2022 with, what is that about 11 or 12 leadership vacancies with the bulk of them being at Highland, um, a few at John George and um, Alameda had their leaders in place. Um, San Leandro was missing a few. Um, I wanna point out that in 2023, it's a lot less. So we're still searching for a periop director, um, a cath lab director, a manager in our SDU department. And that was just due to a transfer um, as well as a manager in ICU. Um, we do have two additional ICU vacancies, but the staff will be starting um, at the end of this month. So I didn't include those on there. So I just wanna um, really acknowledge the hard work of the nursing team and um, all the effort from, um, from all of the teams from uh, recruitment and HR to help us uh, find candidates and um, actually secure them in our leadership positions. Next slide. <laughs> so this is what our org chart looks like now. And I'm missing one red circle down here at the bottom um, for Rodney Delaney, um, which shows our leadership for the nursing department. And all of the red circles are new, um, new people that are currently in place. Um, the two stars that we have here are internal uh, promotions. So we had Hannah Colbert, um, uh, move into our manager position um, and Angela Ng into our director of care experience. Um, we also had a uh, return to Alameda Health System, uh, Lori Feudel. She um, took the job as a director for um, ICU and SDU. And if you remember, this position was open for at least a year and a half. Um, I think almost two years by the time Lori uh, has joined the team. So we're excited to 
to have her uh, come back to AHS. Um, in regards to VPs, we were able to, um, we had a change of a VP out in San Leandro. Uh, we now have Chris Adams. Uh, he's been with us for a few months now. We added Dusty Gilliland at Highland. We added Terrence Fitzgerald Shaw at Highland, as well as Dana Littlepage at Highland. Um, we also, I wanna point out, um, you may not be able to see it from this uh, org chart, but uh, we were able to fill our respiratory services manager positions. So we do have a manager now at each site. We also have Craig Cole, you see here in the middle as the system director for respiratory services, um, but very excited to uh, have all of those positions filled. Um, and I'm really happy with the team um, as, it's, as it's developing. Uh, next slide. Uh, so our priorities last year, we had we had we had a lot, um, and we had some immediate actions that we needed to work on, um, and then we also had a strategy to build. Um, so um, initially last year, we started uh, with these immediate actions, which were the uh, workplace violence. So we were having a um, we were experiencing lots of workplace violence and needed to do an assessment as well as some education. Um, we were able to do that, it's still ongoing. Uh, we were able to secure, um, or actually to hire a consultant to go out to John George to provide us an assessment there. Um, we were able to look at our education that we were, we were providing and looking to see uh, what areas needed education. Um, and we've been able to do that. We stood up a steering committee and um, we continued to uh, work on um, the work that we're doing with that committee and um, what the work groups are doing. Um, so this is ongoing and continuing into uh, this new year. We also had um, the challenge of needing to put in a, an incentive pay program for staff so that we can pay our staff instead of having additional um, registry come in and work. And uh, you heard that in Kim's presentation, uh, our CES pay or compensation for extra shift pay. Um, we used that the most, uh, the bulk of 2022. Um, we were able to scale back uh, about mid-year and then able to scale back at the end of this year. But the good thing is that we do have this in place in case we need to use it. Um, the unfortunate thing is that we did have to use it a lot in addition to registry, as you heard in our finance report. Um, we also needed to implement a system-wide approach for policy review. Um, so the nursing teams, we put together uh, what we call policy parties and we're reviewing policies and we look at policies that we can retire, things that we can make um, more of a systems policy, uh, versus individual uh, site policies, and that has been going well. We're currently working on um, policies in preparation for our joint commission visit for the Highland and San Leandro campuses. Um, we also were looking to collaborate with HR um, and recruitment for filling vacancies, and that is still ongoing, and you'll hear later in my report. Um, what's new and what we're thinking outside of the box to try and implement to um, continue filling our vacancies. We had the challenge of filling our educator vacancies. And um, so far we're down to, I believe 
two, um, no, I'm sorry, three vacancies um, in our education department. So we have our director. Um, we were able to bring on an educator in the ambulatory area, bring a dedicated educator out to San Leandro. Um, we also have our med surge um, tele educator, and um, we're looking for um, candidates for the uh, birth, the FBC for Alameda and for Peria. And fingers are crossed about Alameda because there was an interview conducted this week and we're hoping that the candidate accepts. Um, to in, involve staff and keep them um, up to date of all of the changes that were going on um, and to increase transparency, we were um, we implemented town halls to get feedback from staff and to have real open conversations with them. Um, those with the asterisks are things that we actually completed. Um, I'm sorry, I should have said that in the beginning. Um, but that was instrumental in the beginning of last year, working with um, Mario Harding out in San Leandro, um, having town halls um, to, to really increase the engagement with the staff and to receive feedback from them. Um, so that was a positive thing. Um, also working with um, HR and labor to close the longstanding investigations and grievances. We now have a process for dealing with grievances and um, a process to ensure that we're adhering to the MOU for the timeliness of responding to grievances. Um, there's also was a need to have an increased focus on quality um, and the use of scorecards or to reinstitute our unit-based councils. What we have been able to reinstitute is our uh, professional practice councils, and those are up and going at um, each of the sites. And we have had an increased focus on quality, as you'll hear a little later in the presentation as well. And then the last immediate action was to implement the use of telesitter. And this was a labor of love, <laughs> but we finally got it off the ground and um, we are working closely with SCIU um, and the frontline staff to work through any kinks to, um, to gain the confidence of the staff um, and our uh, physician partners as well. Uh, we started it slow with just two units at Highland and we continue to meet um, bi-weekly with SCIU to talk about um, things that may have come up, things that we may wanna do differently um, and to keep the lines of communication open with this uh, so that we can ensure success with rolling it out system-wide. Um, and part of the strategy last year was to have these service line VP leaders. Um, and as you saw from the org chart, we were able to um, bring on those VP leaders and they have been um, working very hard to, to um, make sure that we're uh, doing everything that we set out to do and following our strategic plan. Um, we were looking to uh, re-institute uh, the DAISY Awards and we have done that as well. Uh, so far we've had two award ceremonies and we've done this um, on all of the campuses. So. That was very, very exciting. Um, the first one was done during um, Nurses Week and we just had a, um, another ceremony in October. Um, so th those will continue throughout the year and we will have quarterly um, awardees of the DAISY Award. Um, we were also able to implement our Nurse Quality Review Committee. Um, this committee is thriving. It's led by uh, Ronica Shelton out at Alameda and uh, co-led by um, 
Pamela Loftus, one of our staff nurses out at Alameda, um, and it's um, representation from all sites. They've been working on uh, nursing quality issues or um, safety concerns that involve nursing. We've collaborated with Quality to um, be able to put the, re um, the responses to MIDAS reports into MIDAS. Um, and that's those are the that's the cue that we're working off of with these um, with this nurse quality review committee. We also um, have um, a method that people can submit requests to us for us to review. So that's a really great committee. Um, we were also looking to implement a robust patient experience strategy. Um, you'll hear you'll hear more about that as well. Um, this was spearheaded initially by Olivia Cryable. She has since retired. And um, Angela Ng was promoted into that position. Um, and she has just hit the ground running and uh, we're very happy to have her. Um, also part of the strategy last year was to fully optimize our staffing department and transfer center. And this is still ongoing. Uh, this is work that we're still working on. Uh, there's some some opportunities there, um, but this is still a focus of ours for 2023, uh, as well as the creation of department level standard work. Next slide. Um, so 2023 doesn't have as many items on it as 2022 did, um, but it's still very, it's, it's big buckets of work uh, that we are working on. Um, so under the pillar of sustainability, we are working on decreasing um, our utilization of travelers, sitters, as well as overtime. Um, we are looking to have a dedicated nurse recruiter, and I'll go into detail a little later in these slides um, on these areas. Um, we're excited that we'll be uh, moving forward with Highland as a stroke center. Um, very excited that we were able to hire a uh, manager to help us with these uh, efforts to be able to bring Highland up um, to obtain a stroke center designation. And that person will be starting, uh, I believe, by the end of the month. Um, and this was a, uh, this is a collaboration with our uh, neurologist, uh, Dr. Gaines. Um, we're also focusing on um, process improvements in the transfer center, um, looking at ways to um, seamlessly transfer our patients throughout the system. And um, this next one is uh, really new. Uh, we're doing an assessment to see if it's feasible for us to bring dialysis in-house instead of contracting with DaVita for dialysis, although we would still need them for apheresis services, but um, we're looking to see if it's beneficial to us to have our own dialysis nurses in-house. For quality, again, um, patient experience and um, NDNQI. So this is something that we're exploring. It still needs to go through the SMART committee, um, but this is a um, national database for nurse quality indicators, and it allow us to benchmark outside of AHS with other like facilities to improve patient outcomes and to um, look at best practices. Um, as far as staff experience, again, to continue with recognition and to um, continue to build structural empowerment. And this is one of the magnet principles 
Um, we aren't on the magnet journey yet, but as I mentioned last year, we are looking to um, embrace the magnet principles as we um, continue with our journey to see if we, you know, maybe we can obtain magnet status in the future. Workplace safety, um, working with employee health and um, looking to standardize our safe hand patient handling um, classes system-wide, we identified that that was an opportunity. And um, also um, to implement a new workplace safety escalation process for uh, leader awareness and timely response from our leaders. Next slide. Uh, uh, Ro, if, if I may yeah. interrupt you just uh, real quick. Uh, Chair Fox, I'm not sure if you wanna move the uh, contract item up to uh, it, if we can get that moving, just an option, because it sounds like people are losing Wi-Fi, losing power, yeah. and people are jumping off. Trustee Friedman is off the call, and Lauren okay. is off the call. So just a thought. Uh, since okay, uh, uh, Ro and uh, Mark, with your indulgence, maybe we'll do that to make sure we can get our action items complete. Uh, wow. And I think the only action item remaining is the is item uh, E, the extension of the GE healthcare contract for uh, imaging equipment maintenance. Uh, Trustee Fox, also the charity care policy. Okay, okay, right. Also the charity care policy. So why don't we take those in, in order uh, on the agenda and D1 is the charity care policy first. Uh, uh, Kim, do you have any anything you wanna discuss about that? Uh, Hopefully uh, the committee members had a chance to look it over. Yeah, I, I do. And I have uh, Sherry Johnson, I think on the line. Yes, no, or did we lose her? Yep, she's there. Sherry's here. So she was gonna make a few comments um, if, if unless you think it's not necessary. Uh, well, if there's anything, uh, you know, that you feel is very important for the committee to uh, to be aware of in terms of this policy, please, please let us know. Um, so to me, there's, there's just a few minor changes to the policy. There's just a, a, a handful of items. Um, it's really to meet the regulations um, that have just been passed. And so we wanted to get it approved today so we can get quickly into compliance. So we did post everything. And I don't know, um, Sherry, maybe rather than show your deck, why don't maybe you, do you wanna just make a couple comments on the key changes? Yes, thank you, Kim. <clears throat> Good evening. The, the, there's three primary changes to the policy. One is changing our federal property limit from 350 to 400%. The second is making sure that our patients receive a charity application within their statement cycle. So we give them four state, four statements. And within that first statement, we're sending a charity application, giving them time to apply for charity. The second is extending our notification for agency collection. It went from 120 days before we can send that pa patient to collection now to 180 days. And that's related to Assembly Bill uh, 1020. And we made some minor tweaks to our policy regarding some legal language. But other than that, that's really the focus of, of the review for tonight for our charity care policy. Thank you. Um, I think it's important that the committee and the board obviously be aware 
that we do extend charity care and the extent, the degree to which we extend charity care and discounts uh, depends on the patient's income in relation to the federal poverty level. And when the patient uh, uh, is below 400% of the federal poverty level, that's when the charity care kicks in. Any questions from uh, the members of the committee or anyone else on the call? I have a question, Alan. So this is really a, a required but legally to statutorily, we're supposed to make these changes. Is that what, 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 what's going on here? Yes. Okay, I'll move, I'll move approval. And there is two policies. So in, when you, uh, I don't know if you wanna uh, spell out your-, uh, your uh... I'll move the, the, this recommendation the staff report for both policies. Can we have a second, please? Second. Okay, uh, roll call, Madam Clerk. Trustee Esteen. Yes. Trustee Fox. Yes. Trustee Friedman. Oh, I'm sorry, he's not here. Trustee Splendoria. Aye. The motion passes. Okay, thank you. Uh, and we'll move on to the uh, final um, approval or action item on the agenda, which is the extension of the GE healthcare contract for maintenance of imaging equipment. Uh, Mr. Amy, do you have any anything to discuss about this? I, you know, Ira did an awesome job. Shout out to Ira on the write-up of the uh, extension, uh, Alan. So unless there's uh, any questions from uh, the board members, I'm happy to talk about it. But basically, we, uh, you know, it's our GE uh, imaging equipment. We, um, uh, you know, maintain it, and it's a standard uh, component. We've grown the GE fleet over time slightly, and so you see an increase to the. Um, uh, dollar amount that we're asking for, but it's in line with the contractual terms for the amount of equipment we're using. I can okay. move approval. Second. Can we, a, can we have a second, please? Second. Second, Trustee Esteen. Madam Clerk. Trustee Esteen. Yes. Trustee Fox. Yes. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion passes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, and Thank you. Uh, we appreciate your patience, uh, 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 Ms. Lofton and Mr. Fratsky, and please go ahead and continue your presentation. One moment, I'll share again. My computer went dark on me. Hold on just a moment, please. There you go. Can you see it? Yes, thank you. Um, so over time, um, how are we addressing it? So we have our monthly operations reviews. Um, you also heard this in um, Kim's presentation. Uh, these are facilitated meetings by our CAOs from um, each of the sites. And that's where we review our monthly financial performance, our true north metrics, injuries, facility projects, and action plan review. Um, we also continue to have our daily known productivity call. And Can you guys still see the slides? Uh, no. I think I'm sorry, Lana... my Zoom is cutting in and out really, really badly. I will try again, but I don't know if somebody who has a more stable connection might wanna try. I believe they're in the packet if you want me to just keep going through, um, if you guys are okay with that. Okay, I'm just gonna right. keep. 
if you send the slide deck over to me, I can probably project my connection seems to be pretty stable. Okay, Mark, I'll email it to you right now. All right, that'll be helpful. Thank you. Mark, I sent it to you in the chat. Oh, thank you, Ahmad. You got there faster than me. <laughs> you just click on it. You'll have it right now. Give me just a second. It's a team effort today. Just scroll down to C3. Um, you, um, I'm going to need that. Um, You'll need to make me a co-host so I can share. Okay. And which slide were you on? I'm sorry. Uh, go um, ahead, Mark. Six. You if you go, go to six, that'll. Slide six, okay. Yeah. Pulling it up right now. Um, uh, I think you passed it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, so we have our day, our daily noon productivity calls, and um, this is where we review our daily drivers for overtime um, and discuss any mitigating plans for the future day. Um, we also review our sitter utilization and alternatives. So um, what you'll see when I get to the slide with the graphs is that. Um, Highland has been able to decrease their uh, sitter utilization significantly from um, last year. And that's um, mostly in part to us putting in a monitoring process. So um, the re when you're requesting a sitter, it's actually escalated up through the VP and the staff know to do um, Q4 hour assessments and reassessments on patients to see if a sitter is still needed. Um, and uh, that, along with um, us having these calls daily to discuss our need for sitters, have made a, um, a big difference in our utilization. Um, we also, um, you'll see in the graph uh, later, that our utilization of sitters, of course, goes up as John George is maybe um, in outbreak status and unable to admit, then Highland absorbs those patients. And of course, we need to add a sitter. Um, in, in those situations. Um, but now we also have our telesitter implementation, and this is um, to increase visibility of our high fall risk patients, um, which helps us be able to utilize our nursing assistants in the department, um, assisting the nurses and providing direct care to our, um, to our patients instead of the one-to-one -one care. Um, I do wanna make sure that I note here that um, there is an assessment that's done to um, ensure that it's safe to have remote video monitoring on a, on a patient. And um, that is done by the, the RN um, who is um, providing care to the patient. And um, if that assessment shows that it would be risky to not have someone at the bedside, 
um, then we will not use the telesitter. Um, we will go back to the one-to-one -one utilization of um, using a, a nursing assistant. And then um, I've already discussed a little bit about CES pay and that now it's limited use. I believe we're only using it out at Alameda. Go to the next slide. Okay, and so this is just the graph um, showing that um, the sitter utilization at John George is also coming down. We did put um, the reassessment um, process and um, expectation in place there as well. Um, and the orange line is um, Alameda. And let's see here, gray is San Leandro, but Highland, I'm sorry, this is overtime, not sitter. My, my mistake. Um, overtime at John George is coming down. Um, Alameda has had a bit of an uptick in overtime and that along with um, San Leandro is I, I believe a direct um, correlation with their the number of vacancies that we have there. And you can see at Highland, um, the overtime is, is coming down. Um, from um, earlier parts of last year. Next slide. Just wanted to show registry use. Um, Kim mentioned this in her report. You can see Highland has a high amount of registry use. Um, this is a combination of um, uh, vacancies of sick use, um, volume, uh, leave of absences, um, Alameda, um, although they have a high vacancy rate, uh, their registry use is starting to um, come down just a tad bit. Um, and then there was a brief spike at San Leandro and um, John George. I just want to also point out that they have been the lower utilize, utilizer of um, registry throughout the year. Um, they do a really good job. And I also want to point out that at John George, um, last year, probably about midway through the year, we did an assessment of all of their vacancies, and the number was significant. I want to say it was somewhere around 71 positions, and they are now um, under 13. I believe they're about at 11. So hats off to that team out there for really working with uh, recruitment. They have a great recruiter that's helping them. Um, and the management staff, now that we have a full complement and a director, they've been able to um, recruit and retain staff there. Next slide. Now this is the sitter utilization. Um, so Highland, um, you see we got pretty low and um, with um, John George going down with sitter use Highland, had a bit of a, a creep up. And at one point it was both of them creeping up. Um, but I'm pretty confident that Highland uh, sitter utilization will continue to come down. And um, as well as at the other facilities with the implementation of telesitter as we continue to roll it out. Um, Park Bridge wanna mention that they have remained um, um, as, as post-acute in general below target for sitter utilization. And um, San Leandro has maintained um, sort of a, a flat rate there of sitters. It's come down a, a little bit. 
Um, but lots of work happening uh, with center utilization and people understand uh, the process for assessing and reassessing. Um, I do want to talk a little bit, next slide, um, about our nurse recruitment um, collaboration. So um, we've, we had a lot of vacancies, as mentioned, in Alameda um, in San Leandro. Um, we were also seeing this at Highland. Basically, it was system-wide. And um, there, there, was, there were some opportunities identified. Um, we, we could work better with recruitment. Recruitment can um, do better with getting us our candidates in a timely manner. We had issues where we were losing candidates. They were changing their, their, their mind by the time um, the offer was made. Uh, so we are doing some out of the box thinking and um, we're partnering with recruitment to design a, um, a model to have a dedicated nurse recruiter structure. And what I mean by that is having a um, nurse recruiter that's actually two of them if, if this is approved. Um, to focus solely on nursing positions throughout the system, um, working with an additional recruiter for um, sourcing a permanent staff. So um, looking at um, external agencies, uh, we've, we've met with um, an agency and looking to meet with another one to assist us with sourcing of permanent staff, uh, really leveraging technology and um, finding a way to uh, recruit people outside of our normal channels. And um, we've been also discussing options for marketing of positions. Um, how can we leverage uh, social media um, or, or flyers? And um, also um, the ultimate goal is to develop a process that will allow for rapid turnaround of our positions. So having a nurse recruiter um, to actually talk to nurses um, about the openings in, um, in the health system, what it's like to work on the floor, um, having that nurse recruiter with um, the um, uh, sourcer recruiter out um, in, in the community, at colleges, at job fairs, um, really talking up AHS, uh, being able to have some real life experience of being um, in a hospital setting for those that may have not been there and um, really just collaborating with um, that maybe the schools that we have partnerships with um, and being able to give that true nursing perspective. And that's what we're hoping to do with, um, with this new design. So currently it has not been approved. Um, it still needs to go through our work committee, but uh, we're really excited about it and um, looking forward to what comes next from this. Question, Ro, um, yes. with, the, with the accomplishments you've had last year, the staff incentive pay, some of the quality issues of uh, filling several of the senior nursing manager uh, vacancies, have you noticed that it's getting any easier to recruit at AHS now than it was when you first came? Um, so what I can say is, um, it's easier to recruit with the right recruiter um, because it's still sort of a science to this. You have to strike when the iron is hot. So when these candidates are applying, um, we need to make sure that that recruiter is getting that to the nurse managers so that they can quickly interview and um, make an offer. 
And it does help with having um, the, the leadership in place because that creates um, some, uh, some accountability. There's someone there to have some oversight. Um, so I do think, uh, yes, and with um, the VP leaders that we have and with the um, full complement of managers that we have, that's just more of a pool of um, seasoned nurses to go out with recruiters on site to speak up um, Alameda Health System and what we have to offer. Okay, sure well, that answer your question? Yes, good to hear that, you know, candidates are maybe getting more uh, open uh, to working to working with us as we are with them. Yeah, I think the conversations um, with the managers while they're truly interested is is the key. Um, if if we wait too late, then they've had a conversation with a different nurse manager at a different okay. organization. Yeah. Um, next slide. Um, so um, some of the improvements for our transfer center that we're working on, um, we're looking at executing on our standard work for all roles um, within the uh, staffing office and tra transfer center. We wanna fully optimize this department um, so that we're working as a centralized department. Um, this will free the managers up to do important recruitment work or quality work. Um, connecting with the staff, recognition, um, patient safety um, um, initiatives that they need to be focused on instead of worrying about day-to-day -day staffing um, or creation of scheduling. Um, we're looking to collaborate with our physician partners to increase our um, transfer our transfers to the community hospitals um, and to, again, as I mentioned before, to make that more seamless. Um, and then the other piece is our workload acuity implementation. And this is our staffing effectiveness. Um, this is a very important um, uh, body of work that we have completed. We worked with um, IS to get this all um, buttoned up. And now um, Dana Littlepage is working with uh, the union to, for us to be able to actually use it. But what it does is it allows us to um, look at patient acuity by utilizing a scale, um, a numeric scale within EPIC um, to balance the nursing assignments. That way one nurse doesn't have you know, four heavy patients or, and another one has four easy patients, but we can actually um, use the data that's in EPIC to um, help inform us to make these um, decisions. So that's really exciting um, and it was a long time coming and we have completed that except for the union conversations. Next slide, please. Um, quality care. So um, this is uh, another exciting um, journey that we're on because we're on a quest for zero harm um, at AHS. And some may think that this is a lofty goal but we would love to not harm our patients. Um, so there's been an ongoing collaboration with quality and patient safety. Um, we work with them on um, uh, healthcare um, acquired infections that patients may have uh, received while with us with drilling down, um, looking at opportunities where we could have done things differently. Um, also, this is again reviewed at our monthly operating reviews and that's where action plans are um, uh, discussed and the team is held accountable to that. Um, we also have a CLABSI work group. So we're identifying best practices there and um, working um, 
collaboratively as a team uh, to help decrease uh, central line bloodstream infections. Um, and this is a new one here, the hand washing. So we, we now have a system-wide approach to auditing and monitoring our hand hygiene. And um, this is also a part of us obtaining, um, um, meeting the mark and leapfrog. So we have an opportunity to ensure that we have at least um, 200 audits of hand washing per unit per month. And nursing is taking on 100 of those observations and um, logging those. Uh, we are partnering with EBS, Nutrition Services, um, Quality, um, other ancillary departments to get um, hand hygiene um, audits completed. Um, we're also working on our falls, our patient falls, because this is an area on our True North metric that kind of stood out. Um, and so uh, we have a uh, fall prevention plan that we're working on system-wide. It, it did include an equipment assessment. So what equipment are we missing? Um, what is it that we need to um, bring in to help prevent falls, as well as the implementation of the bedside mobility assessment tool um, that has rolled out at Highland and is rolling out at the community hospitals very soon. Um, also, our barcode at, um, med administrations, we're looking at that data and um, working to increase compliance with barcode scanning. Um, we do know the areas that we have opportunities and the leadership of those areas are working to, um, to put things in place to prevent um, staff from not using the barcode scanning um, so that we can increase our safety and make sure that we uh, prevent unintentional medication discrepancies. Next slide. <clears throat> uh, patient experience. So we're driving action around patient experience. Um, we implemented 100% daily nurse leader rounding. So that what that means is that every patient um, that's an inpatient is rounded on um, at least once by a nurse leader in a 24 hour period. Uh, we do review our verbatim comments at the unit level and create action plans if there's negative results. Um, I do wanna shout out Alameda um, Emergency Department, uh, their leadership team along with Dr. Joshi and Ronica Shelton um, took these negative results. They have a work group and they're working to improve the patient experience in the Alameda um, Emergency Department. We're also looking at our communication with nurses, uh, responsiveness, discharge, um, discharge teaching as well. And these are trending up from the baseline. Um, we are working next to implement hourly rounding in our emergency departments since 100% um, nurse leader rounding daily is um, a challenge in the ED just because of the nature of the department. Um, we can ensure that we're rounding on patients um, hourly. And this is also for the inpatient areas, so more to come on that. Um, I'm also excited that we are bringing our new nurse orientation back on site. It had become uh, virtual because of the pandemic and we are um, moving forward with bringing it back on site. It'll be at our San Leandro campus and uh, we'll be able to connect with our new um, nurses that are new to the organization um, during orientation, which is great. Um, also, we're working um, tirelessly to continue to reinforce uh, GIFT and the no-pass zone to improve staff responsiveness. 
Next slide. Uh, the next one, as it's coming up, this is just, um, I just wanted to quickly highlight our 2023 goals. Um, so if you can kind of put your eye towards the proposed goal, um, that is our actual goals that we are um, um, striving for in the respective areas that are on the left side of the screen. The goal that's in the middle um, is the um, 50th percentile. So in some instances, the 50th percentile is um, where we're striving. And then in other instances, maybe we've achieved the 50th percentile. We are looking to um, get within 10% of the 90th percentile. Um, and we're looking at, you'll see like for a recommend hospital, that's the weighted average of all three facilities um, as the proposed goal is stated there. Next slide. It um, should be coming up, okay. And this is just um, our roadmap for patient experience and the action items or the intervention um, that we are looking to achieve in order to, um, to hit the goal and what the status is. I won't go through each of these because it'll take a lot of time, um, but um, as you can see, we do have ourselves a plan for patient experience moving forward. Um, next slide. Uh, I mentioned uh, NDNQI, and this is just a little information about that. Um, that this is our, it's, it's a database for nurse sensitive indicators, um, which will allow us to benchmark our performance with against more than 2000 hospitals. Um, this is also a requirement for magnet. Um, and um, it will allow us to uh, benchmark, you know, specific service line um, um, areas to reduce harm. Um, and the great thing about this is that we can also um, benchmark in our, um, in our psychiatric facility at John George. Um, so we're wanting to um, get uh, to be a part of NDNQI so that we can um, drive performance. And the one big thing that I left out of these slides that I have to um, mention is that we do have a um, RN residency program that is starting uh, this month, I wanna say, yeah, in January. Um, so our new grad program, we have um, launched it and I'm very excited um, to have done that. And the plan is to have, um, two cohorts a year to keep this ongoing, to increase our pipeline of new graduate nurses. Um, and uh, this is also with our, um, in conjunction with our training programs that we have so that nurses can move from one area to a specialized area if they so choose to in an effort for us to retain nurses. So we wanna make sure that we are um, providing some mobility for them. Um, so really excited to our education department for um, getting that up and going. And that will conclude my um, presentation and I'm open to questions. Uh, I don't, I do have a question, but I also want to offer some commentary that uh, I love seeing the, the hiring of the management, filling those positions, the focus on so many um, new indicators that are gonna help really raise the stature of the quality of care. 
And I heard you say magnet, and I'm curious if this is a goal. Yeah, magnet is definitely a goal. Um, and our approach to it is to adopt the magnet principles first and um, then start looking at an assessment for us to be able to, to start that magnet journey. Um, How many years do you think that journey will take? Well, if I had to guess, I would. It, it definitely would take three years from the time that we really decide that magnet is what we're aiming for. Um, and I think that I would have a better um, answer probably by the end of the year. If we accomplish what we're setting out to do this year, we can get ourselves on a journey for magnet. Um, AHS has a, a great group of uh, nurses and physicians. I don't think I've ever worked with a more dedicated group and resourceful group. Um, I think with putting, uh, putting a lot of structure in place um, and allowing for growth and staff input um, and that collaboration, we, we can do anything we want, including Magnet. Any other questions or comments? Thank you, Ro, for a really thorough report. And uh, I just feel like, wow, you've got a huge amount of things going on. And uh, uh, I think uh, we're all gonna be, we're all gonna benefit from it, the whole organization. And uh, on behalf of the finance committee, and I think the board as well, thank you for what I know is an enormous amount of energy that has to be going into all of this uh, from yourself and, and your, your management staff. Yes, and thank you for that. Um, there's a lot of work. These were the areas I thought would be important to highlight. When I tell you that there's more, there's there's a lot more going on. So hats off to the VPs at the hospitals um, for towing the line. All right, thank you. And we'll have you back again uh, in the not too distant future. Next item is item D2. Uh, Mark Brown is going to talk about throughput and length of stay and the impact of COVID on those two items. Uh, thanks, Trustee, I appreciate it. So this is gonna focus specifically around um, COVID and how it's impacting um, our length of stay compared to what it normally is doing. Um, so I'm gonna share my screen here. Can everybody see that? No. No, well, that's not good. Well, it happened actually hit. Uh, uh, it, well, hang on a second, Alan. Oh, well, that's not working. Let me try this again. Oh, I was hoping to be the one person that didn't have technical difficulties. All right, hold on now. Hmm. It's fine. Okay, let me try this again. If you're truly stuck, Mark, send it over to oh, me. Oh no, I am not asking for IT well. help. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's not happening, my friend. Hmm. All right, let's see if I can. All right, so now you see my multi thing there. Let me get.
about now? Yeah. All right. So one of our biggest opportunities around uh, COVID and linked to stay is um, an AFL that came out, uh, AFL 22-31, which limits new admissions during an outbreak to our post-acute care settings. So many local health departments, as you can read from the notes there, require skilled nursing facilities um, to close to new admissions during any kind of outbreak until a transmission is contained. Generally, this means there's no outbreak or no new COVID cases for 14 days. Um, for the most part, um, during the initial seven days, this is severely restricted to close to zero. And then after those seven days with limited ability, these post-acute care settings are allowed to admit um, if they can safely admit. Um, unfortunately, medical respites are subject to the same skilled nursing facility requirements. And because they're considered um, congregate living, they actually have a few more restrictions than some of the SNFs do when it comes to the skilled nursing facilities do as far as their ability to be able to take patients um, at all. They're, um, as you'll see on some further slides, our medical respite where a lot of majority of our unhoused patients go to um, have closed completely to admissions uh, for three to four weeks at a time as opposed to some of the post-acutes that still stay open to limited admissions. Uh, this is some data I got courtesy um, of our wonderful post-acute uh, CAO, uh, Richard, um, with what our own post-acute is going through when it comes to this. And they are a lion's share of what our difficult discharge, our long length of stay, our um, unhoused patients, our difficult to place patients, our straight Medi-Cal patients, some of our patients that just aren't more attractive to the other post-acutes. You can see the different um, outbreaks that they've had um, there, and that's severely limited our ability to be able to place patients um, to any degree, to any kind of post-acute setting. Um, Fairmont's had multiple outbreaks um, as far back as May. The subacute had outbreaks back through August. Parkbridge had our outbreaks, um, you know, months in a row. And then similar to what I spoke to, you know, usually the first seven days, um, they're holding those admissions throughout all. CDPH drives um, what kind of testings they have to do, um, and then they have to show no new cases. And, you know, everybody seems to think that COVID is, is not around any longer, but it's, it's severely impacting our post-acute care setting. Um, because once again, anytime there's positive employees that come in the post-acute, you have to um, remove those employees and follow the CDPH and CMS requirements around working them. And a lot of these post-acute staff members go between different facilities. So um, sometimes they unfortunately have an ability um, to just kind of spread between the different facilities and, and one patient or one staff member shared another facility and they all have a positive um, outbreak at that particular facility. Our community-based post-acutes are having similar challenges um, as our own internals. Uh, Richard shared an estimation that countywide, we're probably only able to staff between a 50 and 60% of the available post-acute beds. So, and this is just a random number. This is not an actual number of how many post-acute beds we have in the county, but if we have obviously 20,000 post-acute beds, we're only able to staff between 10 and 12,000, maybe even 15,000. So there's a significant portion of our beds that just are not available to us because there's no staffing that's out there um, for us to be able to get our patients out to where we need to. Uh, medical respites, um, even though we own medical respite beds, um, I pay for 
12 uh, medical respite beds at uh, the Bax facility. Um, they too um, close secondary to COVID outbreaks. So our unhoused patients that don't meet a skilled nursing um, criteria, but still have needs that they can't be discharged out to the community or out to um, assisted living or something like that, have to stay in the hospital because the medical respites um, backs was completely closed for an entire month um, this past month. And Adeline has closed to us as have some of our other respites that are out there as well too, strictly as a result of them having um, the COVID outbreaks and have different restrictions around congregate living and what they can take back um, when it comes to those COVID positive patients. So I just wanted to show a little graph here on length of stay um, and I'll explain the top blue line is duration of encounters by discharge, or the, this is discharge by destination. That top blue line is patients that have to go to a skilled nursing facility. The pink line is patients that go discharge to home. And you can see for the most part, it's a double length of stay for patients that are going to a skilled nursing facility. Um, and you can see it through the months. Um, November, we were at four for a length of stay for home, eight for a skilled nursing facility. July was absolutely horrible for us where it was up to 12 days for a length of stay. Um, for the average for patients that are going to skilled nursing facilities. So as you see the different outbreaks occur in the county, you can see the impact that it has on our ability to be able to move some of these patients along um, and never really dipped below um, eight days on average for a patient to go to a skilled nursing facility. Um, whereas, question. Sir, yes, sir. Uh, would the length of stay normally be higher anyway for patients that are sick enough that they need post-acute care? Not, not necessarily, um, not necessarily double, Alan. Okay. Um, so it might be an, an extra day to a day and a half longer when it comes to it, but it, it definitely in a normal situation, it's not eight days because we're just waiting for those, those patients to, to, to get a bed and to clear. So they may be medically ready to go. We just can't put them anywhere because they have no options to go anywhere. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, John George has had an impact on us as well, too. Um, per Cal-OSHA, um, Cal um, COVID patients cannot stay at the John George facility and they're transferred to Highland. Even if they're asymptomatic, they cannot stay at John George. So they come back to us and they cannot go back even with a negative COVID test. They have to wait the full 10 days if they remain on a psychiatric hold. Um, and we can't discharge them to the community unless that hold is lifted. And currently, um, Governor Newsom has declared the COVID emergency over and the funding for the COVID hotels has been stopped. So where we were able to place some of these patients um, earlier is no longer an option for us. So they either have to stay at Highland for the full 10 days before they can go back to John George or um, if their psychiatric um, issues have cleared up and have been cleared by psych and have had some medication and some opportunities to, to clear off some things, uh, then the hold is lifted. And then we still have some challenges around where they go, um, even if they're um, asymptomatic COVID positive patients. And the next slide will just show um, just some opportunities we had. So 16 patients transferred from John George since October 27th, varying length of stay. Some of them, the longest one was 16 days. Total admission days was about 125 out of those. Approximately half of those were asymptomatic, just wow. sitting at Highland because they were COVID positive. Um, 
has a significant impact on our emergency department around length of stay, border times, um, and, and just our ability to deliver care appropriately um, because of COVID. Um, it's, it's unfortunately, John George doesn't have the air handling system or every, the resources um, that are just there inherent to be able to, to safely care for these patients there. And Highland Hospital is the only one that's able to accept these patients that are either on a 72-hour hold or a two-week hold, the 5150 or the 5250 um, psychiatric hold when it comes to that. So severely impacts our ability to be able to move patients. And unfortunately, this is not the best thing for some of our John George patients, especially if they're asymptomatic, where they're just sitting in a room with a sitter um, and having somebody stare at them and not really giving um, the most optimum care when it comes to helping with their psychiatric conditions. Uh, so it's unfortunate um, as we try and look for opportunities around how to help mitigate from this particular patient population as we don't have a whole lot of other options um, throughout the system when it comes to that. Um, so that was just a quick overview. Um, I wanted to be respectful of everyone's time um, just in the last five, 10 minutes uh, and to just showcase some, some opportunities that we're dealing with when it comes to being able to discharge these patients secondary to COVID. Um, a lot of the skilled nursing facilities are suffering from staffing shortages as a result of their own staff being out for COVID or they've resigned and, and they're not in um, the healthcare business anymore um, from a nursing assistant or, or a, a nurse perspective when it comes to that. And we just have um, just a significantly longer length of stay specific to the COVID um, when it comes to discharge options. A lot of these patients aren't necessarily sicker um, when it comes to what it is, but we, we just have limited options and limited resources uh, to be able to send them out to post-acute, specifically skilled nursing facilities in the mid-respites. Okay, uh, any questions for Mark? I do have a question. COVID impact on length of stay. Yeah, specifically about the correlation between folks leaving John George, going to Highland. Are they also with sitters because they're on holds? So when they, so trustee esteem, when they get admitted to the floor upstairs, they are on sitters um, because they are um, on a legal hold. So they um, represent that flight risk. So they are placed to a one-to-one -one sitter. If we can cohort them in um, those, uh, those dual rooms that each floor has, um, those four different rooms they have, um, we try and cohort them with the sitter, but yeah, they all, they all get a one-to-one -one sitter when it comes to it. And they're, they're asymptomatic and they're for no other reason besides the fact they're COVID positive. And, it, and it's just a, you know, it's a, it's an opportunity we have. It's an opportunity and a cost. What is the reimbursement rate right now from the federal government and from the state for COVID? I know a lot of those rates have been dropping. How does that look? Yeah, trustee, I don't know. I'd have to defer to, to Kim or the finance team around that if it's changed at all. So there is a, a, a DRG related to COVID that is reimbursed, but for these patients here, when they're coming over from Highland, um, I'm not sure they meet the inpatient criteria to build that code. We'd probably have to look and take a sample and see. You have but to it, make, meet that medical necessity. It seems obvious that uh, it impacts uh, the system financially impacts the system in several different ways. If we have asymptomatic COVID patients from John George taking yes, up sir. space and using sitters at Highland. Any additional questions for Mark? 
Thank you, Mark, for that presentation. Yes, sir. Uh, given the hour, I think rather than try to hustle through the uh, performance improvement report, we'll uh, pen that and put it on the agenda for February's meeting. Any, any further uh, comments or questions for the good of the order? All right, thank you everyone for sitting through uh, what was kind of a choppy uh, meeting tonight, but we're adjourned. Thanks.